Hello, dear listeners of the Pen Pen Pals Pod. This is Blixa, your trans femme counselor and life coach to offer a content warning. In today's coverage of Serial Experiments Lane, we discuss the explicitly depicted suicide. If this type of discussion is upsetting or triggering, please join us next week where I might be delivering a content warning of a different nature. Thanks for listening. Present day. Present time. <laughs> well, welcome everyone to Pen Pen Pals. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Alex. This is Blixa. Hey, and it's Ben. And this week, we're returning with Serial Experiments Lane, uh, and we have a returning guest, one of our favorites, a podcasting veteran. Please welcome Hayden. Hello. Hey. It's great to be back. Yeah. How are, are you doing good? Have you have you gotten any anime in the... It's been a while since we've had you on. It has been a while, and I just recently caught up on a bunch of shows this month, like Attack on Titan, the second part of the final season. <gasps> Did that already um, come out? Just the second part. The third part comes out next year, early. Uh, They're really dragging it out at that final season. Oh, yeah, they really are. They (laughs) really are. Uh, And then just other stuff. But I have heard that I need to watch Chainsaw Man. I'm here tonight because you said you had a job for me. I'm on the clock. So I should kill you devil's dead! Yeah, I Chainsaw Man seems to have taken the the community by storm. Yeah. Has anybody watched an episode? Heard anything about it? I made a Garfield chainsaw cat meme. <laughs> That's as far as I've gotten. Okay. I've heard that someone's favorite part was someone riding a shark as like a saddle to riding a tornado, powering the tornado with a chainsaw. And it was picking up intestines and rubble and it was using it as like a weapon. I guess that's some of the fantastical nature of it. Okay. What a stunning glimpse into that world. I know that um, one of our former guests, we like Theta, is covering it. So maybe we'll get him to explain it to us. That's cool. Any news from anybody that... I think we've hit the 50th anniversary of Going to Guy, first published in... Was it Shonen Jump? I don't know what that is. Going to Guy? Yeah, for our audience. What, what's Going to Guy? Oh, Going to Guy did a lot of the super robot stuff. Oh. What's trending now is like Devil Man. Devil Man Crybaby was one of Going to Guy's uh, creations. Oh, so this is the, the creator. Okay. Yeah. Well, since Hayden mentioned it, like the uh, final installment of Attack on Titan, like the, like the key animation art has been revealed as like teasers. Whoa. Usually means it's just right around the corner. Yeah. Cool. Let's see, the Gundam, uh, what was it called? The the Witch of Mercury. Just got its English dub. So much Gundam. Yeah. Do you think it's ever possible to have too many Gundams? Well, it depends on what iteration of Gundam. So this is um, a prequel story from the, the UC timeline, which is what? the thing that I think we're a fan of. Yeah. It, does it happen before Rise of the Red Gomet? Uh, I think it's in tandem. Oh, interesting. Okay, that is something I might be interested in. <laughs> Anything else? Do we want to go into watching it? Oh, real quick. Hayden, do you have any experience with Serial Experiments Lane? Have you seen it before? Heard about it? I have not. I'm also going to be watching it blind. I watched the first episode. <gasps> awesome. Um, but I'm excited to watch it blind and and talk about it with you guys. Any uh, brief reactions to the first episode? I was shocked by how much I was like, what is going on? Because <laughs> usually I have like a high tolerance for that. And this this really you know made my head spin. So I'm... Yeah. Very looking forward to get fully hooked in. So don't feel bad about that. Um, Serial Experiments Lane has been on my to-watch list for a long time because it's, you know, it's mm. a cult 
favorite, right? Yes, yeah. And uh, some of the anime critics I really, really respect has covered it. And like one of them described it as impenetrable. Mm. That was intimidating. And when I tried to watch it by myself, I didn't get too much out of it. So I was really looking forward to going through it with everybody here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Like I have been meaning to watch it forever. Um, and I'm included in that. Um, everybody's got the the second episode queued up and we're going to try something. You're a guinea pig this time, Hayden. We're going to watch an episode, Great. discuss it, and then quickly watch an episode and then discuss it. Okay, cool. Great. Last time on Virtual Reality Bites, Lane Irakura was a shy, quiet, and maybe slightly depressed teenager until The Wired made an appearance in her life. Digitally haunted by the death of her classmate Chisa, Lane began having little reality breaks in class and on the street. Chisa seemed like a model student, but after walking distraught around the city, she took a six-story swan dive into the pavement, into the internet, and into Lane's imagination. Several students received post-modem emails from Chisa. When Lane checked her own email at the behest of her only friend Alice, Chisa's email appeared and intrigued Lane with a cryptic statement. God is here. At dinner, Lane's mother demonstrated her no-interference parenting policy after Lane's sister, Mika, left the table early. Donning her bear pajamas, Lane built up her courage to ask her absent-for-dinner father for a new navvy. Then, a train Lane was riding hit something, maybe a person. With her hallucinations escalating and the electrical wires around her looking more and more like prison bars, Lane received one more message from the blackboard. Come to the wire. Were Chisa and Lane close? Is Lane's family creepy or just distant? Where do our souls go when we die? Let's find out. Okay. So this is like some Manchurian candidate kind of stuff. I guess. He like recognized her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he in in that first scene, like it ended with him looking at some woman that looked like Lane, you know, and I guess presumably the friends saw the same person at that Siberia club too. Weird. So, like, is there like a digital Lane running around, like a copy of her or like an online persona of her? I guess that would be the place where it might manifest. Like maybe this cyber cafe has like hologram technology or something. I don't know. So first impressions, I felt like we're getting into like the conspiratorial stuff that I've heard that this show is known for. It turns out that the mm-hmm. delivery vehicle was just a delivery vehicle, but it did seem like the stereotypical like surveillance van. I, I almost thought it was like a ambulance when I first saw it. Yeah. Uh, and it it's not an, a surveillance vehicle, but it does deliver a device that may be surveilling Lane. Yeah. You're saying because the logo kind of looks like an eye or something like that. Yeah, 100%. Like, if that's not the logo, like the shorthand logo for evil corporation, I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so the psychedelic elements, Spectre, or the phantasms that were hanging about, mm-hmm. whether they were hallucinations or something else. So the Spectres, for me was like an overlap of like dimensions or realms um oh. just because like she like walked through her and so she's like oh that's right somehow visually able to see this other realm or maybe it's the wired uh but she's yeah. not uh physically engaging with it yet or something and so that when he said that line that kind of like triggered my mind to be like maybe there's something there mm-hmm. yeah. 
Uh, and and along with the specter, she saw like a visage, uh, uh, a man's face. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And because the those like shadowy humans or humanoid figures that walked by were kind of like an inverted shadow of like the shadow in her world, I guess. Um, instead of being mm. like purplish and black, it was whitish and a different color. Uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's like similar to that sort of pattern that we see in the the shadows everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, like hmm. shadows of the real world distorting themselves as they project into the cyber world or whatever. And the same thing would happen with shadows of the cyber world projecting here. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but it is to say we, we sort of had these things sort of lurking in the shadows in episode one with that sort of like art design choice. And then in this episode, we have like a couple instances, you know, first that guy behind the the pole on the street when she's walking to school and then that yeah, you know, the weird face in the shadow of the school that, you know, ends up being the same girl that right. we saw, uh, you know, either she did like Lane witness someone or, you know, hallucinated something or imagined something maybe of this girl kind of standing in front of the train. And so we get kind of that same girl in this other thing where we're like, is it a hallucination? Is it yeah something else going on? Yeah, is she like just having PTSD episodes where she is haunted by these people that killed themselves mm-hmm. like around her or I guess the first girl did not do it around her, but she's somehow connected to yeah. it. That was interesting. And then the hostess at the club, Siberia, was wearing the gas mask. And that made me wonder like, oh, mm. is there something aerosolized in this mm. club uh, that the staff want to protect themselves from? Or maybe that's just like theater that they're doing. Yeah, I was thinking more it's like a fetish kind of <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was like a theme club, like a sex club or something. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like a gimp mask to me, though. Yeah, I mean, um, I think specifically like gas mask was like a thing for um, some of the World War II generation for some reason. I don't know, like there, it is like a... Oh, a, a fetish? Cat- yeah, like it's a weird type of fetish. And a very common fear. Well, yeah, I just remember hearing someone talking, I think it was like a British dude talking about being down in these sort of like bomb shelters during World War II, wearing the masks and stuff. And then it's like, you know, 10 years later, that's what they're really into for whatever reason. That is oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. Kind of neither here nor there. Yeah. So that those are, the, those are the things that jumped out at me. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, like when the shooter shows up, like that's who we saw earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a recognition, like Lane seemed activated to me mm-hmm. and then said her line. It felt very like Manchurian candidate trigger. Like, like she had just been triggered or she's triggering him? Well, like I think both, like something triggers her, maybe the sight of him. And mm-hmm. then her saying this line triggers him to put the gun in his own mouth. Yeah. What is the line again? We're all connected. And I wonder if her trigger might've been the blood. Yeah, you see her mm. keeping on looking at the blood and, you know, she's sort of like frozen. So, yeah, she sort of like acts strangely twice, right? First, it's like she freezes and doesn't run with everyone else. And then when she kind of comes unfrozen, then she kind of turns fearless and... A little um, bit more like what her friends kind of described when they saw someone. Yeah. And I was a little confused. There, There's three girls that took her. One of them is not her sister, right? Do they yeah. just look similar? Yeah, yeah. N- none of them are their sister. It's, you know, the girl, Alice, who is kind of nice to her in the first episode. Um, there's a girl, I forget her name, who's sort of mean. Okay. And then the third girl is the one who was crying in the first episode because she had gotten the, the emails from the dead girl. Right. Yeah, so this drug that he takes 
is Excella, right? And it's it's not exactly a drug, but it's a nanomachine that stimulated like the production of a particular hormone in your body. So it's not the nanomachine itself that's affecting you, but it is causing your body to make this thing that unlocks the frame rate of your brain, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I was like, well, do you become a superhero or do you just go crazy like this guy seems to be doing? Yeah. Um, and you had an interesting note in here, Ben, that uh, meth is the most commonly abused drug in Japan. Yeah, I think I think kind oh. of historically and I think still today. Yeah, I don't know if people like smoke it. You know, that's one of the reasons it's so destructive or if they just more just take it like, a, you know, like popping an Adderall more or something. Mm-hmm. I was looking up that stat and when I was looking it up, it was saying, too, that kind of like in the... Japan's equivalent of the drug movement that we had in the 60s. It was like meth was a big drug Mm. um, that I think they got from like military supplies that ended up on the black market. Like it was sort of like the amphetamines that soldiers were doing. Sure. And then uh, huffing industrial solvents was like the other big drug that people were doing. Hardcore. And it kind of made me think of like, you know, like how that would affect the way you think about drugs in general. (laughs) Maybe it's just like two of the things that we think are like the most harmful, kind of like dangerous sorts of drugs of abuse and like, you know, doing that compared to like smoking weed and doing acid or something, maybe you'd just be like, yeah, drugs like are horrible, <laughs> like, <laughs> ruin everyone's lives. Yeah. So that, so it's not only in the Japanese military, but that meth addiction, that national meth addiction goes all the way back to at least World War II, right? The most famous example of that was kamikaze pilots mm. who probably had a whole bunch of it on them if they uh, were given the order to dive bomb a ship. So I wonder if there's some link between, you know, this this hardcore drug use and suicide. That's interesting. So when you talk about it being the most commonly used uh, illegal substance in Japan, like, does that mean that it's kind of like the open secret? Yeah, I don't know. That That's a good question. I, my impression is like drug use in general is like a lot lower and kind of more stigmatized. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's like, you know, that is the... The most common one. I, and, you know, I think now in the U.S., like when I was a teenager, it was pot was the most commonly abused drug. But I think mm-hmm. now it's like maybe pharmaceuticals in general. Like if you combine all of that stuff, that's kind of a bigger or like the most likely drug people will abuse first or something now is some pharmaceutical. Oh, OK. So mm-hmm. like all stuff that was gotten through a prescription probably at some point. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it could be a prescription opiate or a benzo or Adderall or something. Uh, okay, so what else happened in this real quick before we go on to watching the other one? So Lane gets a new computer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a really creepy logo. Uh, and her dad, like, he does not have time for her unless he also gets to do something with a computer. In which case, he's like, right now, we can set it up. Absolutely. But there is something strange about the computer already, right? Because she she asked the computer if she had mail, and it said, no, you don't have any mail. But her phone was giving her a notification that she did have an email. I was thinking it was just an email versus a text message or or something like that. Like she didn't have a new email, but her friends were like, come to the club. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. So this layer is called girls. And like the only thing that stuck out to me about that was like the other girls at the school. There was a lot of social pressure and like judgment. Yeah. Uh, Like how does that tie into like, like what is this episode about? Well, I mean, I'll just take a stab at it and I don't know the answer here, but like, I don't know if these are like your, your mean girl thing or like just your typical middle school friends, but like there was the, the peer pressure and the conformity stuff mm-hmm. and like that as it is, it's kind of like mind control. It's, it's something that alters your behavior and your thinking. 
uh, to do things that like maybe in any other circumstance you might not normally do. Right. She never would have gone to this club, just like the guy who took Mm -hmm. the drug probably wouldn't have done the things he was going to do. And I think Lane clearly is some kind of like, what do they call it? Like a cipher agent. You know, she goes into her programming mode and she has no recollection, but other people have seen her. But like, she's so you know, far removed from who she is in real life that maybe people aren't actually sure that is that really Lane. So, so explain that a little bit more when you say like cipher agent, what, what do you mean? Right. So like when some type of conditioning kicks in and she's activated and doing something, sometimes your, your whole affect can change. Like if you're in a different mindset, like if you're disassociating or something yeah. and it seemed like that that's in fact what was happening uh, because people swore that they saw Lane, like say at this club or something, but she presented and behaved distant enough from the Lane they knew that there was doubt there. Yeah, I guess another, you know, kind of the, I, th- I think there's going to be a sort of like tension within this series between things that are sort of like, is there something crazy going on in the real world or is there something crazy going on in Lane's mind? And maybe like the mm. going on in Lane's mind version would be like, uh, you know, something more like dissociative identity disorder, you know, what we used to call multiple personality disorder where maybe mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like you're saying like it is a dissociative thing but like you know there's this other other lane out there doing this stuff that yeah she doesn't she doesn't remember and kind of like the personality is different enough that it's kind of like confusing to to people that that also is a very controversial <laughs> diagnosis whether or not that exists uh mm-hmm. it's at least very rare in in real life but shows up a lot in fiction and stuff. Mm-hmm. Another thing that stood out to me was when Lane comes down the stairs and she sees her parents, you know, intimately sharing a kiss and it, she just like stares at it. And it's kind of like, you think about like any other, like maybe Western media or just like any other show. It's just like, ew, mom, dad, stop. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of awkward. And then her parents separate or then she walks into the other room and then you kind of expect like, oh, you know, they were just kissing, so maybe they'll be friendly. That her mom is just like deadpan, like cold to Lane. And so just the whole moment was so weird. And I don't know if there's anything in there or if it's just setting up how, you know, chaotic and messed up her home life is. Well, in, in, in another similar moment, I'm curious what you guys think about um, after the dad finishes setting up the computer and he leaves and the sister's just like standing there, like, you know, she's been listening in or something. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, is something up? You know, she just kind of walks off that way. The mom like mm. walks off from stuff too. But what what do you think she was doing standing there? I think the sister has seen Lane in her like alter form or whatever, mm. and is having trouble reconciling. Like, is that am I talking to Lane right now? And and that's what she said about the imaginary friend thing, or maybe I don't oh. know what that is. Like when Lane is activated, and again, like I'm not saying this is just a theory. Is she talking to somebody that other people can't see? Hmm. Uh, like whatever phenomenon is going on right now, is that part of the mechanism of it? Well, I was wondering if there was something too with this sister where it's like, you know, this dad that like you were saying, he doesn't show affection except for relating to the computer. So mm-hmm. it's just like, she's just like, what is going on? Like, what, what is dad doing? Like, never like almost like she's sort of like jealous of the attention that Lane's getting yeah. or yeah. like. That's what I thought. She's just like, she's just another teenage girl whose father doesn't pay attention to her. So when her sister gets a bunch of attention, it's like red flags all over the place for her. So I feel like we've covered most of it. I, I am just curious, like you guys having watched, you know, episode one and now episode two, did episode two kind of go in the direction you were expecting it to go? Or how has your thoughts about it changed 
as of now. I was expecting just more like foundation to be laid. Um, yeah. Cause I kind of felt like we were waving our hands in the dark, trying to find the walls. And so mm-hmm. I was expecting more of that this time. And so maybe in three or four, I can kind of start to see, all right, this is the direction we're going. So it was exactly what I expected. And I think giving me more space and watching another episode or another layer, uh, it definitely, <laughs> you know, hooked me in, made me curious of like really wanting to see what this dark room is about. What, what about you, Alex? Yeah. So I imagined that we would get another message from, uh, Achisa. I imagine we would get another message from a dead person and we have not gotten that yet, or at least not that was explicit. We, yeah, we got one small reference to it in that conversation the girls are having outside of school where they're like, have you gotten another message or? Right. Um, so I would have predicted we get another message and that's going to be like our, you know, mystery unfolding. But I imagine that, you know, the creators of the show are probably pretty smart. They probably think you really want a message every episode. And so skipping an episode with no message heightens the intrigue. And I was going to say for next episode, I think, someone will die in every episode of this. But now I'm going to say mm-hmm. that next episode, no one will die. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're trying to find the meta pattern. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get in the head of the creators. I have a feeling that it's never going to have a completely open moment where the entire yeah. mystery is revealed that we'll kind of always be waiting in it, but ready to be wrong. And then to confirm a plot point, one of mm-hmm. the friends got hit by a bullet and was bleeding, right? She was like hobbling and they were carrying her. I wasn't sure if she just like fainted or if she got hit. You see some bodies on the floor. You only hear one gunshot, which seems to hit the 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 mirror ball. So like, I'm not exactly sure kind of what really is supposed to have happened there. And there was a big pile of blood on the ground. So presumably somebody got hit. It was unclear who got shot. Yeah. If it is the friend, I didn't notice that on my, um, you know, previous watch through, but I guess we should pay attention to if she shows up. I, I can't really remember. Yeah. But I also wonder, maybe we were in Lane's perspective at that moment and she was transitioning to being activated that she, we don't hear or see all of what transpired because she didn't, she doesn't remember experiencing it or something. Yeah. Yes. Shall we move on to three? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. All right. Three, two, one, play. God, we should have watched this for Halloween. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a creepy oh my ass gosh. show. Yeah, that's not Lane. So, so in the dub, is it sort of like a like electronic voice? Yes. Like almost like the Navi's voice or and something. And there's a like static. When your TV, yeah. when an old TV had static noise. Freaking wild. Okay. One positive prediction. No one died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no one died in this one. That's good. We also didn't get a message. I still really want a new uh, email to pop up. Well, mm. so an email did pop up, but then her dad interrupted her, right? And ah. then, yeah. So they tease us with that. Mm. I think one big thing we get in this episode is, you know, the sister sees these guys with the goggles and the red light. Yeah. So seemingly it's like not all in Lane's head. Though I do think it's interesting. It's sort of like the day after, you know, she sees the guy commit suicide with the gun with the sight. Uh She starts seeing this like red light as she's like walking around. So it seemed again, sort of like, you know, like potentially like a PTSD sort of thing. But maybe it's real. I don't know. Mm. 
new characters, the men in black. What interesting eye devices they have too. <laughs> yeah, could be night vision goggles, but there's a laser scope on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe potentially some sort of like augmented reality thing or... Okay. Yeah, like they're always yeah. plugged yeah. into the mm. internet. Or, uh, you know, like in Men in Black lore, um, they're able to alter people's minds, like make them forget that they saw them or saw something or obscure what they saw was something absurd so that it became unbelievable. Mm. Would kind of make sense with that line of, she threatened to call the cops and they said, like, we're not even if here. If we weren't, aren't even yeah, here. That could have been like subliminal. So, so and I guess we have a couple more indications this episode that maybe it's not all in Lane's head. So we have, you know, this thing early on about, oh, like, surely you've heard of this, like, Lane of the Wired or something. Like, she's yeah. sort of this known person. Then this person at the club recognizes her and, like, calls her by Lane. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's, like, a doppelganger or something, it is someone who's going by the name Lane. Mm-hmm. And then the kid seemingly recognizes her from the Internet. And, you know, again, it's this indication of it's, well, it's someone that doesn't behave like her. It's like, I want the the wild one, the one that I saw on the internet, uh, which sort of lines up with what her friend said about, like, the person in the club or that stranger that sees her is like, oh, you're really going for the little girl look or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, normally she's dressing differently, behaving differently. Yeah. Okay. So let, let's do some age checks here. So she's like 14. She's in eighth grade, she says. Yeah. So these kids that she meets in the club, they've got to be like nine and 10. Yeah, like fourth grade. <laughs> okay. Uh, so her older sister's still in school. So she's got to be younger than 18. Okay. So I saw in some comment sections online that uh, some people had trouble with this idea of these kids being in a club. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know if this is no longer a thing, but when I was in high school, there were underage clubs. So I was in a small town in Missouri and we had two underage clubs. Hmm. And the idea is that you can't go in if you're 18 or older, it's 17 and under to go in. Yeah. Something like that. But I never went because they were playing like Tiffany and Belinda Carlisle shit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's hard to tell what the ages of the other people are supposed to be. I mean, like, clearly there's people there who are who seem a lot older, but I mean, like, maybe they wouldn't necessarily seem older than the way the older sister is drawn or something like that, right? So mm-hmm. maybe they are just supposed to be, like, 17, 18. Yeah. So in this underage club, drug deals are happening and <laughs> uh, shootings. Uh, this is the most dangerous underage club in the world. Also, the club is <laughs> back to business like the next day after a shooting, which <laughs> it's very interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, even had their disco ball <laughs> repaired, yeah. right? And, and it does seem sort of like degenerate, right? Like, so we have Lane walks by this like guy who's trying to like, you know, convince some girl to sleep with him, mm-hmm. which sort of like that image that we got right at the beginning of this series of the you know yes. the businessman and that girl so i think that's like their way of like being like this place is sort of seedy or like i don't know if it's supposed to be like a comment on like what young people are just like exposed to by being like out in the world or something or being on the I internet think, right because it's or, like yeah. the name of it is siberia which was clever because I turned on my captions, but they were just automatic captions, and it was spelling it like normal Siberia for me. Yeah, yeah. I think I grew up very differently from the rest of you three. Yeah. Uh, This stuff does not shock me at all. Like, when I was in seventh grade, I had friends that were getting high. Yeah, maybe smoking pot, but not, like, ingesting experimental nanomachines or... But we also had, like, the anarchist cookbook. 
people were making acid. Interesting. You know, I remember like one of my friends did bring a gun to school. They didn't use it, but like it is a rough crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I have rose colored glasses. I know I was trying to get yeah. weed as early as like 15, maybe. I, I tried to make a joint once just out of like leaves I found in my yard. Glad <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't poison ivy or something. Yeah. It didn't work. Poor sweet summer child. <laughs> Rolled it with notebook paper. Doesn't burn good. <laughs> uh, so, so I think we, we've had some of the other themes kind of continue. Like again, she tries to talk to her mom about this like traumatic thing she just witnessed, um, sort of like she did about the email in episode one. And again, like her mom just like, well, I guess she just gives up, right? Because she's just like, okay, like mom's lecturing me about being late to school. <laughs> yeah. And she's going to ask her about like, where were you last night? But instead decides it's not worth it. Yeah. So we all agree this isn't normal. Like what's going on with the mom? Yeah. Who, sorry, was that a question or were you saying yeah, what's like, going on she, with the mom isn't normal? Has she been conditioned? You know, is she one of them? Is she stuck in a loveless marriage and just hates the world? I don't know. Mm, couldn't be. Her husband does seem to be a pretty shitty person. Yeah. <laughs> what, what makes you say that? He is disconnected from everyone. He's not there for dinner. And when he's there, he's just in his man cave playing with computers. He has no interest in any other family member except for when it overlaps with one of his interests. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he's not exactly Gendo yet, but we have a similar vibe that we get in a lot of anime, which is that the parents or that generation, they're always working, right? Um, It's like a whole generation of latchkey kids. I was just going to say it's interesting because other than like what we observe with the dad, the way his character is personified and maybe the English voice acting, at least he's more chipper and maybe quote unquote more approachable. But Mm. Lane continues to choose to attempt to approach her mother, who Mm. generally seems much less approachable. And she only approached her father about like the computer related things. And so it's just weird. There seems to be connections we haven't made yet. Yeah, and I, I was thinking, you know, at least the, the dad does seem like a little more chipper and personable, but I guess like the mom is the one that's like cooking dinner and yeah. stuff like that. Like she yeah. is around more, even if she's kind of more emotionally distant. Right. But so when, when Lane asks him about that chip, though, then he gets like kind of sketchy and leaves, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't know why that showed up at her school. And right. this is the chip she shows to the the children that is supposed to intercept the signal from the internet to your uh, CPU so that it can be manipulated in some way. So, I mean, it's like early Wi-Fi technology, right? Oh, I, maybe that's yeah. what it is. I don't know. The kid pulled, pulled out some device that looked like a cyber gun and was like, if I put <laughs> that in here, I could do whatever I want. And I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. 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 I, I thought it was supposed to be like, sort of like, uh, like even this shitty handheld oh, device, okay. like that thing is so powerful. It could make like even this shitty thing, like super powerful. Interesting. And so now we have a dichotomy between these two episodes or not a dichotomy, but we have a mirroring in the last episode, we got a drug that did that to a human mind. And now we're getting a chip. That's kind of like a drug for your computer. Mm -hmm. And so her friends, she has a weird interaction before she finds that chip where they're commenting on the things that we are commenting about, just kind of like almost breaking the fourth wall of like, I just can't seem to take this traumatic thing seriously. (laughs) And then the topic changes and they're just over it. That was weird. Ah. And I think it's something that we've sort of seen in these other ways before, like when 
the girl commits suicide at the beginning. Like there's a one of the people watching it, like he just keeps being like, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Sort of like more concerned with like himself than, you know, this girl that just died or, you know, when the train stops and they're like, oh, maybe it was a body. It's just sort of this like everyday thing. Yeah. I think Alice was onto something and I, I think something is affecting everyone because she was very easily redirected. Wait, sorry, what do you mean by that? When they were at the lockers, Alice was saying like that it's weird that we can't take this seriously enough. Mm-hmm. It's like she knows that something traumatic happened and there's the natural response and that was not their response. And I don't think that was just like a storytelling gimmick to like move on. I think she is aware that this is not the, the way things are supposed to be. Mm. But but even that, like she brings it up, you're saying, but like the friends are so disconnected from everything that like they immediately move on to like, oh, what's the next little drama, the yeah. mm-hmm. love letter. And, she, and Alice did too. Mm. Like she immediately like lost that train of thought. You know, I know that, you know, she brings up the fact that they're acting like it's something they saw on TV. And, I, you know, maybe that's, yeah. you know, this is sort of about how like mm-hmm. the internet is affecting everything, but maybe sort of like, well, technology has always kind of changed us and the way we like perceive stuff going around on around us. And yeah, you know. I, I don't know if this is like cheating, uh, but <laughs> I just had a lot of just like cues to like Moon Knight, uh, the recent Marvel show. Oh, interesting. Like a separate personality knowing information that the like another personality knew uh but the first one's not aware of the second one and so that kind of was happening uh at the end when like this like chipper confident lane was referencing the conversation that uh timid lane was having uh but Mm -hmm. but was very different so at the end the last the final scene it seemed like a different personality in lane and she was Mm -hmm. referencing the conversation that timid lane was having in the club with the, the youngsters yes. be careful mm, so of static electricity gotcha. uh just do mm-hmm. this this and that the other thing and then we see her acting upon the information that timid lane was given so maybe the if it is a split personality thing it's like they're not so split or something that they can yeah it seems like one is fully aware like her confident self knows that this is happening but the timid one is unaware that it's happening at least that's how it kind of happens in Marvel or in Moon Knight. And so that's just my brain went there. Mm. Yeah, I definitely think that was a different personality. We're saying like the main lane isn't technically proficient. Uh, and this one was rebuilding the computer. And she yes. even like referenced her sister differently. She called her she's like, hey, big sis. Like she was engaged instead of she's just silent in the other scenes with yes. her, correct? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's something that's out of character enough that her sister's like, what is going on? Right, like suddenly right. like she's wearing these different clothes and you know, it's like got all this computer equipment splayed out. And... Which is interesting that it seemed to be the first time her sister has seen this. So that's weird too. <laughs> hmm. So the chip she got is called Psyche, right? That's also the name of the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Psyche is a, a Greek goddess. She is the Greek goddess of the soul. Uh, she's often personified with butterfly wings. That's like her symbol. Um, and she marries Eros or uh, in Roman mythology, you know him as Cupid. So it's interesting to me that 
I don't know, but we've often talked about uh, 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 not summoning, but like manifesting something through you, like a greater power or a greater purpose or something. And so she has, like, I think her getting the chip is not insignificant to her own psyche. Like, I guess we have evidence that she's been this other lane before, but that's the first time we saw the other lane on camera, right? Is when she yeah. got this gift of psyche. Or, or I'd say possibly too in episode two in the club when she says mm. that thing to the guy. Mm-hmm. But her cheerfulness was unsettling. Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah, and then I guess there could be more than one other lane. Mm. So maybe, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe there's one other lane in the club and then one other lane with the computer. Yeah, that's true. And we've talked about that in, especially at the end of Neon Genesis, that you know, there isn't just one you, everyone who knows you, there's a different you inside of their mm-hmm. head um, mm. of what they think you are. And none of them are the totality of you, but they're still there. They still mm. exist. That is happening to her a lot is she's meeting these people that have some impression of her from the internet or wherever. Mm. And and I don't know, I, that, that's something I don't think I've ever really like met anyone in real, I'm trying to think if I've met people in real life that have interacted with a lot on the internet or whatever. But, you know, I think we're seeing it in this extreme version in this story, but it is sort of like maybe like a thing with technology that they're like interested in exploring like through this story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely kind of like prophetic, like because this show was 1998, I think. And like that, Mm -hmm. that whole interaction that they were describing was just very familiar of like, like Finsta and all this like social media personification and um, pretending to be someone else kind of stuff. Wait, what is Finsta? It's when you like create a fake Instagram. Oh, um, to like pose as someone and, online or to... or Yeah, to pose or it could be like, uh, this is my Instagram that I let my parents see or I have... I have a Finsta that only like a handful of my friends can see. Oh, interesting. So there was the scene where she is on the Navi and we're hearing all of the, this like compilation of a bunch of different things being said. Yeah. Did that have the psychedelic background? Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of had some uh, lines that we heard before, like maybe not vocally, but I feel accelerated was one of them. Um, but it was like all of these interactions that sounded like they happened right before someone died. Oh. Um, mm. And it was interesting that she was just kind of like observing it all mm-hmm. or they were kind of referencing seeing this girl. And I think it was green and white stripes or something. Okay. Um, yeah. One of them, I think it's something it's like, oh, I see this, like there's this figure in my room. He's wearing this like yes. green and red striped shirt and like oh, looks like a yes. little boy. Or oh, something. is it Freddy Krueger? <laughs> <laughs> They made it sound like it was like a little child. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was weird. And I wonder if that's like another, you know, juxtaposition we're going to get is the the similarity between a dream world and the internet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, no, they're not the same, but there are very similar things about them that like they exist kind of separate from reality. They can kind of affect each other, but only through maybe informational terms. Mm. Yeah, the, you know, like the guy said in episode two, the re- the internet's not supposed to affect the real world. But, mm-hmm. Right. And then right. it does. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. does it? Jesus, the society we live in. I will say that that montage, I mean, I think it's sort of like a montage of the, the sort of shit people say on the internet, um, but then it also does end up foreshadowing stuff that we're going to see in later episodes. So that is a fun thing to go back and rewatch after you've watched the series. Mm. Some Easter eggs in there. Mm-hmm. Going back to talking about the mom, this is a little bit weird and a little bit of a pet theory, but right. She's just like very, very, like she gives nothing back, right? She's very mm-hmm. unemotional. And there was this like old 
theory. It's I, I've heard of it mainly as a kind of debunked theory of autism called the like refrigerator mother or refrigerator parent theory, hmm. where the idea was that like if you had this mother that was not emotionally giving at all, that that could lead the child to to develop autism. And you know, I think since then we've learned that like definitely like genetics are involved, and there's like a lot of other stuff that is involved and we've decided that it's probably a bad thing to like blame parents for that. Mm -hmm. But I was looking up too that it was also, um, you know, for a long time, autism was called like childhood schizophrenia or like they thought the conditions were related and that um, the refrigerator parent theory also applied to, to schizophrenia. So I do wonder if that's like part of why they have that character there where it's supposed to sort of like represent that, that maybe this is her parents being like that or making Lane the way she is. And yeah, I mean, this came out 98. Is that what Mm -hmm. you said? Yes. Okay. I mean, that would track with our understanding of autism was not very sophisticated in 98. Mm -mm. Mm. Yeah. Like back then it was, you were autistic or you weren't, you know, there was not like this spectrum of behavior that people uh, understand it as now, or at least I understand it as now. Um, And Asperger's is an outdated term now, right? Yeah. Which generally meant like a high functioning autistic person, someone who's on the lighter or more neurotypical end of the spectrum. Yeah, I think especially like you don't have this problems with language development. Mm, interesting. And so there, this this refrigerator parent theory is debunked, but there is something there, not like necessarily in like emotional distance causing autism, but there are things like that, like parents just not caring enough about their kids and like leaving them in uh, uh, you know, a, a baby chair for too long, things like that, mm-hmm. that really do cause those kinds of uh, developmental uh, delays or disorders, right? Yeah, I think the, the kind of maybe most famous thing is like these Romanian orphanages where mm-hmm. um, there's these mm-hmm. kids that like they get basic nutrition, but basically no emotional interaction or conversation. And a lot of them, you know, I think developed all kinds of kind of psychological problems, but some of them it's like this autism-like syndrome that's like, you know, maybe different in some ways, but, um, you know, so, but that's a very extreme end, like even <laughs> the, the coldest parent, you know, would give their kids a lot more than, than those kids received. But but like, yeah, it, it might be a little bit more, you know, there's somewhere in the middle of all of this stuff. And, you know, you can imagine too that like, if maybe the mom had autism and then the kid has autism. And so they're like, oh, well, the mom is being like weird and unemotional and cold and not acting like a normal mother. So she gave the kid autism when maybe it's like a, you know, that could be like a genetic thing too or something. Yeah, fascinating. Mm -hmm. And even today, like autism awareness is still stunted in females, right? Like in in women who are, uh, uh, it's harder for them to get a diagnosis because of the different ways that it uh, manifests, right? I never thought of the mom until just now in like a sympathetic light. I'm like, (laughs) oh, right, of course, her behavior comes from somewhere too. It doesn't excuse it, but it's fascinating to think about the reasons. I I think in the, I don't know if we ever get this directly in the show, but in some of the reading I've done, she is supposed to be like a, a computer programmer. Oh, the mom too? I think so, yeah. And I think the dad is supposed to, or one or both of them, I think is supposed to work for that Tachibana company that makes these computers. Now, is there any, that's not a real company. Is is there any significance to that name, Tachibana? So I think it's, there's like a type of orange and that's called a Tachibana orange. And so it's maybe like an apple pun. Ah, Interesting, interesting. It's also the uh, composer for the music from Darling and the Franks. (laughs) Oh, Mm -hmm. maybe it's her computer company. Yeah, an orange. Hmm, interesting. There's a lot of Tachibana stuff. I guess it's a fairly common surname. 
I'm kind of going back to the beginning with the the voice on the train. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how the voice, which sounded male, started, but then it said like you're not alone. Um, yeah, I think it's just calling her name, like it's just like Lane. Uh, that's right, Lane. you're not alone, which is like, yeah, I know, I'm on this train full of people. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's what makes it even creepier. It's like, uh, yeah, I already knew that. <laughs> but then that goes into when she's in class and she sees, which I thought was going to be the the girl from the first episode, but then it kind of looked like a granny, mm. and she was okay with leaving her body, and and then she goes into like some type of like like head pain. She grabs her head, mm. just like weird stuff. Yeah. Mm. What a fast, what a well done mystery so far. I can understand what you were saying before, Ben, about like you end an episode and you're like, oh, come on. I want (laughs) to, I have to know more. You set up too many questions and didn't give it any answer. Ah. Yeah. We are coming up on our time. Uh, Does anybody have any final thoughts for these episodes or predictions for the next episodes or anything? Yeah. Well, those would be the questions for Hayden and Alex. (laughs) I guess if I go into predictions, I think. We're going to find out that there are different personalities piloting this body of lanes Mm. (laughs) that some of the weirder moments, like potentially when Lane is when she we see that scene where she goes home and everything's empty and it's dark. um, That is a moment where she is not the primary personality. And this is kind of like her psychic prison just because of how piano music stopped when she woke up and now maybe she's the primary personality operating Mm. um things like that and then i think somehow there's going to be her this like split or this like ptsd she's working with somehow is allowing her to just have more awareness of the wired than others would have Mm -hmm. that's all i've got okay alex i think I'm hoping in the next two episodes that she goes to the kids again and becomes kind of a little Goonies squad with them. I hope they become her backup um, because she can't trust anyone except maybe these children. (laughs) I do not like the kid who was like getting skeezy with her. Yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah, I think he was putting on airs. I think he was trying to mm. act older, not, appear older. You not know? this lane. I want the wild yeah. lane. Wow. But then he like apologizes right after she gives him a look. Like that's true. Maybe she'll give him a date, but not while she's lane. While she's being piloted by this mm. other personality, and it will be way more than he bargained for. I, I like that we're using piloted now. Like like it's you know like <laughs> oh. a mecha anime. We like thought yeah. <laughs> we thought we could escape, but like aren't aren't we all really <laughs> mechs being piloted? by different personalities flesh mix well yeah we uh uh one of my friends likes to say that we are bone and meat max piloted by you know a soul <laughs> mm-hmm. that's fun i like that okay i i just can't wait to get to the next time i'm having a really great time with this uh so hayden if if our our listeners are enjoying this series is there anything you might be able to recommend that you think might work as a compliment to this or maybe an antithesis to this Mm. Mm. i would say that this is my first delve into suspense uh suspense thriller Mm. so i I don't know if i have anything that'd be similar but man this is awesome (laughs) (laughs) um other stuff like this would be awesome the only other thought that i would have that i would recommend would just be kind of attack on titan Mm. and some of like the storytelling that they do you know they do a good attempt of keeping you guessing Mm -hmm. when you think you're getting answers you're actually being asked more questions Mm -hmm. And so that is a similar kind of appreciation between those two shows. More, more flesh max. <laughs> more flesh oh max for sure. That's right. <laughs> flesh max. It's all flesh max. Oh my god. <laughs> Wait, that sounds like a cuisine. 
the Titans are people. <laughs> like, what no, kind of food do they serve? Well, Flesh Max. Yeah, there's like a <laughs> joke for a zombie movie. It's Mexican yeah. cannibalism. Yeah. Um, so just really quickly, like that, that was a really interesting thing you said, Hayden, about like, uh, this is your first dive into like suspense thriller anime. And then it yeah. really reminded me of like why I love anime so much, because there is a genre parallel between like anime and the rest of media. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I've, in my experience, is like every dive into these subcategories of anime, like it always has this other interesting twist, like a horror anime is fun for totally different reasons than just Western horror movies are fun. Yeah. Well, I have one recommendation for Hayden and for anyone else, if they're enjoying the suspensefulness, um, not as drawn out, but I recently rewatched, I don't think I mentioned it on the show, but maybe I did, um, Perfect Blue by Satoshi Kon. Mm. That's a really good one. And it has some similar themes of the internet as an emergent phenomenon and like Mm -hmm. the online version of you and how that depicts you or doesn't depict you, you know? Yeah, and and we're talking about maybe doing it as our next series, but I think Paranoia Agent is a show Mm. that um, shares some DNA with this and that is uh, Satoshi Kon's, I think the only TV series he did, right? Mm. Um, Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of similar themes. Okay, cool. Uh, If we don't have anything else, then we'll do a sign-off. God, this yes, is the weirdest yes. podcast. Okay, here we go. Pen. Pen. Pals. Flashmax. Flash <laughs>